So, have you gotten your flu shot yet? Not yet. We need to get our flu shots, like, now. Like, everybody who's listening to this needs to get a flu shot today. Unlike, unlike your lovely, lovely co-hosts, Reverend Terry Williams and Kelly Fox, faith organizers with the Ohio Religious Coalition for Reproductive Choice, and we care about health, and we really should have gotten our flu shots earlier than this, but we need to get our flu shots here pretty soon. Um, I honestly have I, a plan. I would have done that this weekend. <laughs> I would have done that this weekend, but uh, I was I was just a little busy. You've been you moving. Know. You've been moving and shit. <laughs> I just moved all my stuff. It's fine. Um, but yeah, definitely get your flu shot. I have a bunch of friends who have been getting sick lately. Um, and so, like, actually, this weekend, um, with my moving, uh, there were several people who, like, canceled because they were like, I don't know if it's COVID, I don't know if it's the flu, like, I don't know what it is, Mm -hmm. um, so I don't want to risk it, and so I'm not coming. And I was like, that's cool, I totally understand, um, I had more people than I expected, or not more people than I expected, but I had a good amount of people, enough to... Um, be able to move my whole house in three days with only like a few hour segments so um it all worked out but um yeah i would definitely reiterate the need to um get your flu shot flu shots are important i i think just the idea of moving the idea that you had to move in the midst of all this it gave me the flu just now like i feel (laughs) ill thinking about moving and um no but seriously you know we start thinking about our health this time of year it's always this time of year we start talking about get your flu shot you know my my grandmother always used to say make sure you get your flu shot before the election right i don't know why that was her benchmark but like that was her consistent like in the fall get your flu shot taken care of before you go to vote and i feel like i feel like the political nature of health cannot be overstated in this moment because let's be real honest like people need to stay healthy and that should not be a political controversial conversation but my goodness if it isn't always something i mean you know we deal with repro topics so we know that some kind of health care gets politicized all the time, right? I mean, mm-hmm. health care related to abortions and family planning and birth control and, you know, even family medical leave, all that stuff gets politicized. But right now, like, wearing a mask has become a political yeah. issue. And I, I just, I don't get it. I mean, I don't get the rest of it being political, but I, I really don't get this, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I was talking to um, some people this weekend about, like, the mask thing. And, like, I think that just in general, we should just be wearing masks when we're sick. Um, and, like, you know, like, under other countries do that. And, um, like, as a, as a culture, have, like, this, um, this enough respect for each other to, like, wear masks when you know that, like, you have a cold or whatever. Um, to make sure you're not spreading spreading that. Um, and I don't understand why healthcare is a political issue because, like, I think that, and I think a lot of people who might listen to this podcast would agree that um, healthcare is 
you know, a right as a citizen. Um, it shouldn't, it shouldn't be something that you have to, you know, fight for. Um, even something just as, as basic as, like, getting, I don't know, like, cold medicine. <laughs> I remember at the beginning of the pandemic stuff, um, I went to, <laughs> uh, Walgreens right before they, like, shut everything down, um, and I went to go get, like, I had heard if you get COVID, like, some things that might be helpful for you are, like, you know, fever reducers and, like, generic cold medicine. So I went to Walgreens and, like, all of it was was taken. And I feel like the, it shouldn't be that hard to, like, find medication when you need it and healthcare when you need it. Um, and so the fact that um, not only during a pandemic, but in general, people have to look really hard to find the care that they need is just crazy. Well, well, now, now some people, some people have to look really hard to find the care they need. Mm-hmm. Other people have the care mm-hmm. just like at their beck and call all the time. And I, I think that's the health disparity issue for me is where the rubber really meets the road. Like we've got people in this nation who have never had to go into a Walgreens and hunt through anything to get what they needed. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I find it really interesting. You know, we're, we're recording this at a time when the president of the United States is currently hospitalized due to an, an infection of COVID-19 we have three U.S. senators as of, uh, you know, our our film date today, um, three U.S. senators who have tested positive for coronavirus, who are now on isolation quarantine protocol. Um, those people, frankly, have never had to worry about their health care. They've never had to worry about provision of health care. We, we saw, you know, the president uh, tested positive, had in very short order, you know, expressed symptoms, and then he got to step onto a helicopter that took him across town to his private suite that provides not only for his recuperation, but his ability to continue to do his job during uh, this crisis. I don't know anybody else who has that. Now, I know it's not fair to compare the president to, you know, everybody, but... Um, I think there's a different level of care for for wealthy people than there are for the rest of us. Um, and we gotta we gotta really wrestle with that in in the United States. I think because um, you and I definitely don't get that <laughs> that level of access. That kind of treatment. No, yeah. I mean like, and and even like I don't know when when you were saying that I was thinking of like how when. Uh, people have to be taken in ambulances to the hospital like that is so ridiculously expensive and so like uh, like it's it's obviously in those kinds of situations it's an emergency and sometimes that's not accessible to people when like you know getting there getting to the hospital getting like medical help quicker could like save somebody's life um anyway but that's absolutely like, an ambulance even is just like not acceptable or not acceptable uh, is not accessible to uh, I think a good number of regular people and it's right. just like you shouldn't you shouldn't have to rely on the fact that you have money like to be able to live it it's so 
it's so ridiculous to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that, like, we just don't, um, we also, like, just don't talk about it. Like, we don't talk about the fact that people who who have money are able to afford needed surgeries that people who don't have money are not able to afford. Um, and even, I'm just thinking back to our episode, um, uh, I think it was called, like, Liver and Onions and Abortions. Um, and we talked about, like, how there are people who will say that, like, they are so solely against abortions and against um, the access to them. And then... <laughs> when they need it they have the money to just like pay for that to get done um and oh, i think totally. that, that really needs to be something that's talked about well and and i think it's important it's important for us to remember that most people who are publicly and politically against abortion are really against abortion for poor people right if wealthy people have enough money and resources to do that, you know, we know in our culture, in our society, that wealthy people are going to continue to have access to, you know, all kinds of reproductive care, regardless of its legality, whether it's abortion, birth control, uh, you know, in any kind of process that is currently regulated right now will be available to wealthy people regardless of whether it's legal, quote-unquote, or not. But in the U.S., we have a a political agreement that has been around for decades called the Hyde Amendment, right? The Hyde Amendment is a legislative provision barring the use of federal funds to pay for abortion, except in very narrow cases, um, you know, of, uh, as the amendment's written, narrow cases to save the life of the pregnant person, or if the pregnancy is proven to have arised from, or arise, to have arisen from incest or rape. You know, we've essentially codified in our laws that we think poor people should have less access than wealthy people. So, you know, whether it's about reproductive health care or the ability to stay well during a pandemic, we made a decision as a nation a while back that it's okay for wealthy people uh, to have better health care. You know, it's okay for the president and for senators to have better health care than the people they're representing, and it's okay for them to expect to have better care. Um, that, that is just, like, fundamentally jacked. <laughs> you know, like we got a problem. And even in the even in the situations where um, maybe somebody who is not wealthy can't afford to um, get an abortion or get whatever health care that they need, um, like it comes down to like choosing to get a procedure or get the health care that you need, um, and like not getting it. And um, we were talking about this a little bit earlier, but, like, I don't think that, like, the decision between paying a buttload of money and getting uh, the healthcare you need or not getting the healthcare you need, I don't see that as a decision. Like, that's, like, if you, if you have the means to afford it, like, you, you, you have to, you have to either, like, put yourself into debt or, uh, like, well, or just like not have money that you needed for other things. It's just dumb. That's right. <laughs> um, That's we right. Were, 
we were talking about this, especially in the situation, which I think a lot of people can relate to, of um, uh, having overdraft fees from banks and, like, how <laughs> how dumb that is and how, like, um, uh, or it, it, I, actually, the specific situation we were talking about was um, I was getting money from the bank, um, withdrawing some money, and they charge you a fee of $3.50, and they ask you, like, is this charge um, okay? Like, they ask for your consent to that. And um, in my opinion, even though they ask for your consent, like, if you needed to get whatever money out of the bank, like, if you needed to make that withdrawal so you could, I don't know, like, pay for a medication that, like, keeps you alive or pay for your rent or, like, whatever it is that you need that money for, and uh, regardless of what the fee was, like, you, you need to pay the fee if you need the money. And so in that case, like, they can ask for my consent all they want, but, like, I have no choice there. Like, I'm, I don't, and I don't see that as really giving consent. But, um... Yeah, when you're, when you're not free to say no, you can't, you can't give consent if it's not informed consent and if you don't have freedom. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And then, um, and, and I think, like, the, the people who decide that those kinds of informed, or those kinds of consent situations... Um, uh, are fine like the people who who decided oh we should have like a consent thing at our at our ATM when people withdraw like they're not the same kind of people who know that it's not a choice if you need to actually withdraw that like it I think like because of the like wealth disparities there are people who don't realize like oh you know you either pay three dollars and fifty cents or you just don't get the money because not getting the money is not an option and i think that's the same thing with like um people who um have come down with covid or people who get the flu um it you know you either get the care you need to survive or you don't and i guess the not is is an option but it's not a good option it's not well and it's not an I'm option gonna, that I'm, is like giving you freedom and yeah I'm yeah. I'm gonna kick your example up just a just a notch in the age of COVID because really okay. the question that I see parallel to this for COVID is when we look at a person who is working a minimum wage or a lower wage job and the fee that we charge from them is really the risk of getting COVID if they continue working their job. And people will say, well, you know, if you're afraid of getting COVID, you can just not work, right? Or you can work, and right, there is no option there. It's not like It's not like people who are working service jobs who are required to be at work, and if they don't show up at work, they get fired and have no access to unemployment. It's not like those people can just say, you know what, I think I'll just not work. I think I'll just go find another job in this job market where my only skill set is you know it basically has hemmed me in to having to work a job where I'm going to have the same level of exposure as I currently have but we have a, a national conversation going on right now and a particular conversation here in Ohio you know led by our our lieutenant governor around 
Well, everybody has options for jobs, right? We keep hearing that. Everybody's got options for jobs. There's the free market because free market capitalism is going to save everybody's souls, right, and give us all tons of money. That's That's been the promise since the 80s, right, the trickle-down theory that uh, uh-huh. never plays out. Somehow the, yeah. the wealthy never let that trickle down to everybody else. But the, the system that has, has promised us wealth and prosperity has actually gotten us a lot sicker and gotten us a lot less ready to own our own reproductive destinies because it creates systems that keep people poor. And when a poor person says, I don't think I want to go to work today because I might get COVID, the response from that system is, well, then we're not going to let you eat. You know, you're not going to have money from this company and we're not going to give you benefits from the state. And we're not going to provide you health care if you do get COVID. You, you still have the health bill, right, to pay. So all the risk is on you. And if you happen to get through all of this without um, contracting COVID, at the end of the day, we're going to send you a tax bill for the privilege, right? So we're paying tons of taxes into a system that isn't necessarily giving those folk tons of benefit. Well, I shouldn't say we. Many of us are paying tons in taxes. Some people only pay $750 in tax every year, but we'll leave that for another conversation, right? Um, I'm just saying, I'm still bitter about that. I'm looking at my tax bill and I'm like, girl, let me tell you, like, $750. Whew, Lord. My tax bill this year alone was like double that. Mm-hmm. I I got like I did like and my you're a student tax bill, and then I had like a and I'm a student. You are a student, yeah. And 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 the the frustrating anyway. part is like the the whole tax conversation, the whole conversation about access, wealthy people having access to better health care. It's not a partisan conversation, and it's certainly not about just the few people who we know are in those situations. It's a reality that is bipartisan. It is all over our nation. The reality is simple. Wealthier people have better outcomes in a health system that demonizes and stigmatizes poor people and that strips poor people of their ability to make informed consent decisions. You know, the the idea... And on top of that, when when, um, a poor person or a marginalized person in general... Um, gets into a situation where they do need help, the 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 wealthy people who are getting access to care regardless of uh, like, or that are able to easily get access to care, um, the wealthy people will blame the marginalized people for not for getting into this situation, um, mm-hmm. and ugh, like I I'm just when when thinking about. Um, that I just think back to keep calling back to other podcasts. But anyway, uh, when we were talking about uh, uh, Ohio State Center Senator Steve Huffman, oh right? my Jesus, um, when he when he Ooh. talked about like how black people don't wash their hands and so that's why they're getting COVID mm. more, um, mm. <laughs> rather than it being uh, a case of having lack of access to healthcare that is um, not racist. Like it's it's totally unfair and just ridiculous to me that not only do uh, do wealthy people get the opportunity to 
have access to the healthcare they need without having to really worry about how they're going to pay about for it. But also, uh, they have the privilege, <laughs> or uh, not the privilege, <clears throat> but also they they choose to blame um, marginalized people when they get sick because they can't afford it or because they're not able to access the care that they need. Yeah, you're, you're going to have to uh, go back to what Steve Huffman said exactly because I, I wrote a blog article this week about um, health care and I specifically referenced your comments from, from that uh, former podcast. But just to refresh everybody's memory, if you have forgotten this, because um, 2020 has been a long decade, right? I mean, this whole year has been like a decade for us. So back in June, right, June 11th, we, we get this from the New York Times. Uh, they directly quoted Steve Huffman. Steve Huffman, uh, a state senator here in Ohio, and a doctor. Remember, Steve Huffman, Steve Huffman is a medical doctor who asked the following question uh, in a Senate Health Committee hearing. Now, the the question was preceded by a conversation about why African-American persons, black folk in Ohio, are getting COVID and having a worse reaction to COVID than necessarily their their white counterparts. So Steve Huffman asks this question. Out of all the questions he could ask, he asks this, and I quote, Could it be that African Americans or the colored population do not wash their hands as well as other groups or wear a mask or do not socially distance themselves? Could that be the explanation of why the higher incidence, end quote. Now, you know, leaving leaving Mr. Huffman, uh, Senator Huffman alone on his grammar, um, let me just tell you right now, uh, the phrase colored people should never come out of your mouth. Like, come on now, right? Like, I'm, I'm from Appalachia, right? Like, everything gets here later than everybody else, but, like, that has arrived in my world already. Like, that, mm, not okay. Second thing is, like... If you seriously are going to advance a trope that people who don't look like you are dirty and that's why they have negative health outcomes, you have missed a lot of the train. Like, you are still at the station. We have left you behind. And third big thing on this is we've heard a lot of... Uh, kind of controversial press about critical race theory, right? Um, you know, the federal administration's uh, negative view on critical race theory. Um, critical race theory could have fixed a lot of Senator Huffman's problems right here if he had taken a step back and considered the fact that all of the people in his population as defined he said African-American or colored population. I'm going to say black folk in Ohio. Black folk do not have, on average, nearly the financial and social capital advantages that white people have. And if you don't look through an economic lens at the impact on health care, first and primarily, you're going to miss a lot of things. I want to know if Senator Huffman asked the president or these three senators 
who have tested positive for COVID if they're washing their hands. Because I'm pretty sure yep. nobody said, oh, why why are all these, you know, very wealthy white male senators testing positive for COVID? Is it because they don't wash their hands? I haven't heard that once out of anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I find it interesting how we frame things when when mm-hmm. we want to believe certain tropes. And I'll just call it what it is, racist tropes. Mm-hmm. Um, that reinforce our privilege, we will just bend over backwards in that. Um, and I, you know, I, I say all this as a white man, like, I, I don't know, as a, as a, as a mixed black woman, how does it make you feel when, when you, you see these people in leadership in our state do these kind of things and then just like give people who look like them a total pass? It's just like such a double standard. Like I, um, I feel like a lot of the time, or at least just growing up, I've always learned that consistency is really important. Um, you know, I want to, I want to be consistent in the things that I say. I want to be consistent in the way that I like do my work. Um, I want to be consistent in the way that I treat people. Like consistency is just like something that's highly valued, um, and that's just something I've grown up um, believing. And then to hear people who are in, like, high offices in the state or um, just, like, in general, I feel like there's a lot of people in all of the high offices in the country um, who are willing to give a pass to one group while not giving a pass to somebody who doesn't look like them. Like, it's just, like, at least be, at least be consistent, you know? If you're going to say that, like, one group is responsible for uh, their health outcomes because they're dirty, then you better be calling this, uh, the other group dirty, too. <laughs> like, I I don't know. There's just, I, I just hate the inconsistency. Mm-hmm. I, and I've, I've often thought this about, like, other um, people who have been, um, you know, would, who are against... Uh, like well going back to the liver and onions thing it it also irks me that there are people who uh uh will condemn abortion when it's for other people but not condemn abortion when it's for themselves all right now and i was like at least be consistent about Mm -hmm. it like if if you're going to be hateful at least be just (laughs) at least be consistent um so yeah that's just like kind of my thoughts on that it just is annoying and I don't know like in those kind of situations what I've um experienced with people who are uh aware and responsible for their own things that they say uh they usually come out and apologize for something that like in in cases that they've been inconsistent like um I don't know I watch a lot of YouTube it's like kind of my um I, I watch a lot of YouTube drama specifically. It's kind of like my um, my guilty pleasure. And uh, people will always be like apologizing for things that they've said in the past um, to and say that they're not like that in the future. And the people who are good at it are people who actually work to make a change and be better mm-hmm. and to show that they've they've worked to be better. And it just like makes me so upset that uh people can just get away with being inconsistent and not have any responsibility for it like there's no consequences not that like i think that there need to be heavy consequences 
I mean, like, I think that people like that shouldn't be in high offices, but that doesn't mean... I'm also, like, anti-cancel culture. That's what I'm trying to say here. Um, like, I don't think that means that, um, like... Maybe this is a conversation for another day, but um, I, I don't think just because one person um, says or uh, it condemns things like, for example, abortion or uh, says that like black people don't wash their hands. Um, I don't think that that means that they, uh, when they are called out for saying things wrong uh, or that are wrong, um, I, I don't think that means that they don't get access for, to health healthcare or um they yeah don't get access to healthcare in general like i don't want the tables to be turned on them right but i do want them to be consistent about what they're saying and i want them to apologize for harming a whole group of people and i want them to realize that um just because someone's situation is different doesn't mean you get to condemn them or make them personally responsible for health outcomes that they have no choice in because like i i'm just thinking about when you were talking about um how when people have to make the choice between having a job and living and not having a job and not giving COVID, or uh, having a job and being at risk of getting COVID and not having a job and not being at risk of getting COVID. Um, like I'm thinking about when you, when you go to your job, um, if you, if you choose to keep your job, which I think a lot of people have been in that situation, and then um, maybe you are a higher risk. And so you're, you know, trying to stay away from people, trying to practice social distancing, wearing your mask. Um, and then people, I have been in stores recently. I've had to go to the Home Depot a lot of times because that's what happens when you get a house. But um, <laughs> when I've gone into Home Depot, people will like walk in with their masks and then like take them off and then like put it down or like have their nose hanging out. And I'm like, not only like I can be in here for five minutes and then like walk really far away from you because you're a stranger <laughs> and um, avoid you and then like get right back out and not have to be around those people that I don't know where they've been and what they have. But like the people who work there may be approached directly by uh, customers or um, may not have the choice to, you know, get away from customers. Mm -hmm. um, and so they're not only are they not like they don't get to consent to not really they don't really get to consent to whether or not they um like n whether or not they stay at their job because they need to stay at their job but on top of that <laughs> they don't get to consent to whether or not they get to practice social distancing and practice safe protocols around covid because the customers will like come at them and then um not wearing their mask right right well and yeah. And I and I think it's really important, uh, you know, you you mentioned, you know, people having these these situations where they are at risk because of other people's ridiculous behavior. Um, I just want to put a quick plug in when this airs, um, we will be in the midst of early voting in Ohio. You know, when you hear this, you will be able to go to your local board of elections and cast an in-person ballot. You will be able to submit your absentee ballots. And, uh, you know, you'll be able, of course, to go in and vote in person, if you wish, on the 3rd of November. On the 3rd of November, I'm very privileged to have jobs that allow me to take election day off and to go work the polls. So I will be working the polls. I've not worked the polls for several years, but I decided to this year because 
we know that people who work the polls are going to be in an increased risk of contracting COVID. And I am willing to sacrifice uh, that that part of my uh, safety at this point to make sure we get to vote. And when we all went in and had training for, you know, pandemic training for, for how to be a poll worker, you know, everybody's spaced out in the room, you know, six, eight feet away. You got probably, you know, 15, 20 people in a very large auditorium. And people start asking questions. One of the people starts with the question, what do we do if somebody refuses to wear a mask coming into the polling place? Now, we've already been told, you know, there's nothing that's going to keep somebody from casting a ballot. If they're registered, they get to cast a ballot. And we were told, well, you you need to encourage them to wear a mask. You can offer them one of the masks that's available. You know, you can encourage them to wear a face shield. You can encourage them to take part in uh, curbside voting. We'll bring stuff outside to them and on and on and on. And they said, but if at the very end they refuse all of that, your job has got to be to get them in and out as quick as possible and then to sterilize everything as quickly as you can. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's this part of me that just feels so sad that we're at that place in, in this nation where that is the reality, you know, not just for a few of us on election day one day, but that's the reality for people in our grocery stores, in Home mm-hmm. Depot, in, you know, all these other places who have to work jobs to be able to earn a living and they're putting themselves at, a, you know, a greater risk. That's just not ethical mm-hmm. in in my view of the world. You know, I, I no. think a big part of our work is dealing with people of religious value. Uh, yeah. You know, people who, who put value in religion and religious practice. And I just don't see a religious value in forcing people to risk you know yeah uh that that's why at the religious coalition for reproductive choice here in ohio we are so steadfast about making sure that people have access to the full range of reproductive health care because we don't want people at risk and we know when people don't have access to all of the options that they need they are at risk. They're at risk of a great deal of stress and turmoil and complications that just frankly don't need to be there. So yeah, I I think this is an ongoing conversation that we've got to be having in our culture uh, because it's not ethical that wealthier people have better health outcomes. It's just not. No. Right? No. And, um... Like, when you were talking about that, I was just thinking of, um, how also when, when people don't have access to the healthcare that they need, um, it often can lead to trying other means of, uh, getting the healthcare they need. I mean, like, um, I don't know if you, if you don't have access to like getting stitches, for example, Mm -hmm. you might just like bind a wound and that's not healthy, and it's not going to lead to good healing, you know? And um, just thinking about the, the history around abortion and the coat hanger stuff um, from, I don't, I don't remember where that's from, like the, how old is that? Um, you know, you, like you mean, 50s, you mean coat hanger abortions? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, <laughs> well, let's, let, let's be real blunt. Um, mm-hmm. 
those kind of abortions often happen um, in places where people just don't have access. So I think yeah. that's a good question. How old are coat hanger abortions? Well, people die on a regular basis um, of not having access to that care. Um, so much more prevalent in the 60s, 50s, 60s, 70s. Um, but in Appalachia, I'm here to tell you that if you don't have a good self-managed abortion community helping mm -hmm. you through, we see on a regular basis, you know, I as a chaplain, uh, you know, in a, a community minister down here, I see on a regular basis three or four people a year who attempt things at home without any, you know, additional help. Um, and that does become very dangerous. Now, I, I do want to be real clear that self-managed abortion does not have to be a dangerous thing. Uh, there are many people who participate in uh, self-managed abortion care, and frankly, we have a long tradition in most of Appalachia with, um, you know, mothers and grandmothers being able to help uh, people along when they need that kind of help, whether it's uh, medicinal, you know, mixed herbs or, you know, a, a physical abortion. But mm -hmm. if you don't have a community and you don't have access to those resources and you don't have access to the surgical resources of a clinical abortion, um, the coat hangers right now, yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the access is today. So, yeah. 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 It's just like, uh, like, when you don't have access to that, and I think this is something that is especially, like, not, that people may not realize when they're not desperate, you know? Um, I, don't, I don't even know if I want to use that term, but, like, yeah, desperate. Um, when you don't have other options, when you're not, like, consenting, but you're choosing, when you are given a situation where you basically don't have consent, but you're still choosing to not consent. Mm-hmm. Um, like when when you need something when you're desperate for something you will you know seek other means if you need mm -hmm. to and uh it's just it's crazy to me like just just hearing you talk right now knowing that there are people who are outspoken about being against abortion who can still access it and then there are people who cannot get abortion because they can't afford it or because it's not accessible whatever whatever reason or there's some amount of shame around it which there shouldn't be because mm -hmm. it's just a, like uh, just healthcare um they are going to have or they're having to get other means and mm -hmm. in a way that like may not be safe um may not be done by the people who have been trained mm -hmm. you know because self-managed abortions can be absolutely safe um, if done by people who know what they're doing, but if right. it's not by someone who knows what they're doing and you don't have access to those people, like, right. Right. You can end up hurting yourself more. And so it's just, there are people who are in like, you know, able to go to, uh, get an abortion or get whatever healthcare and have like the best experience ever. And then there are people who are going like are desperately trying to get the healthcare that they need and not able to to get it so and I, the disparities yeah. and the separation there is just like yeah and i i think uh. those disparities are those disparities really echo what we're seeing with the covid disparities the same mm -hmm. disparity that we see between people who are dying 
of COVID in the state of Ohio because they don't have access to primary medical care versus senators and the president who, you know, just get weighted on hand and foot. We have that same Mm -hmm. disparity when it comes to all reproductive health care in this state. And it's why we have organizations like Planned Parenthood, you know, both Planned Parenthood Greater Ohio, Planned Parenthood Southwest Ohio, like um, Women Have Options Ohio, working to make abortion affordable. If you need an abortion, if you want an abortion, if you want access to reproductive health care that you don't have access to right now, we have people fighting to get you that access and to help pay for it in this state. Mm-hmm. I long for the day when our local abortion funds no longer have to operate, right? I long for the day when we don't have to raise money for people to have Mm -hmm. access to health care, right? But until that day happens, we're going to keep on doing that work, right? And and Mm -hmm. we we bless uh, all those folk who are, are doing that really important work. And I think it's important for us to say in in this time, if you are a person who does need access to reproductive health care, please, please, please know that there are options here in the state of Ohio. If you are a person who's looking for any kind of reproductive health care and you're worried about how you can afford it, go to abortionislegalinohio.com. Again, that's abortion is legal in Ohio, all one word, dot com. Because we have lots of options in the state. We have lots of people fighting each and every day to make sure that you and every other Ohioan has access to the care they need. Regardless of whether you're a senator or a president or an ordinary, everyday, beautiful human being. Because every person deserves to, to have access to whatever healthcare they need. It shouldn't be a question of whether or not you have money. Um, you should just be able to access healthcare. Um, Amen. Yeah. We're having a revival here, folks. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, um, I think that's about all the time we have for today. Um, but it's been good talking to you. And uh, we'll be back in uh, two weeks. If you if you want to find our, our uh, extended episodes or any other information around our podcast, um, you can go to ohiorcrc.org slash podcast, um, and you can find the information there. We're also on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, so you can find it there, and yeah, we'll be back in a couple weeks. And until next time, from our soul to yours, peace. Peace.